Welcome to the Aging Answers Show, where we discuss tips, trends, and topics for the 65-plus crowd. I'm Gina March of the Mary Culver Home for Visually Impaired Women, located in downtown Kirkwood. We've been caring for elderly, visually impaired women since 1866. Today, my guest is Laura Matson, who is the Vice President of the End of Life Coalition. Welcome, Laura. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I met you at a local networking event for uh, the senior care world professionals, mm-hmm. and I was fascinated by your topic, which is called the Conversation Project. Uh, but before we get into that, I'd like to ask you a few other beginner questions. Sure. First of all, what is the End of Life Coalition? Good question. It's been in actually in St. Louis since 1999. We've changed our name, we've changed board members, but our vision has always been the same. And the vision is to get information, proper information, direct information out about end of life, all different types of topics that you can think of. Uh, So on our board, made up of all volunteers, we have doctors, we have nurse practitioners, we have social workers, anything you can imagine we have on this board. And what we do is we try and educate the greater St. Louis area about end-of-life issues, trying to make it um, an easy conversation for people to have, to learn everything that they need to know about it, and how to start that conversation, which tends to be so difficult. So how do you get that message across? Is this, do you have events for people to attend? Is it just website resources? Uh, So we have it it all. We have our website, which has wonderful information up to date that you can go to. And that is gatewayeol.com. We also hold many speaking events on various topics. We have a summer series of four different speakers of all different types. We're in the making now of putting all of that together. Just last month, myself and an attorney talked about end-of-life documentation. What do you need? What is power of attorney? What is a living will? And we talked for an hour and a half about all of that type of things. So any pertinent topic that comes to us, we will research, we'll get the proper people in, and we will talk. By the way, all of ours are free of charge, and you get lunch. So I know you're also with Evelyn's House. I am. And I think Evelyn's House is a fairly new establishment, isn't it? It is. So tell people what that is. Yeah, we're going on our two-year anniversary, and BJC Hospice, and that's where, that's what Evelyn's house is, it's a general inpatient unit. So hospice, when it was enacted and currently, it's done in the home. That's how it's been put together. At some point, sometimes symptoms get to a point where a caregiver cannot manage those symptoms anymore. So that might be pain, it might be nausea, it might be terminal restlessness. And before, those patients used to have to go to a hospital, which we don't want. Most people who enter hospice say, I want to die at home, I want a peaceful death. When we think about a hospital, we think about it being loud, obnoxious, um, pin poking, that type of thing. So BJC brought Evelyn's house tuition, and it is a 16-bed hospice house. So instead of those, um, instead of our patients going to the hospital, they're now coming to Evelyn's house. 
our job then is to get their symptoms under control and then hopefully to get them back home. Whatever home is, that might be the home that they lived in in childhood. It might be a skilled nursing facility. Uh, but that is our goal there. Unfortunately, we uh, we get them more towards end of life uh, with their symptom management. So we lose probably 85 to 90% of our patients at Evelyn's house. Um, I don't I have to say that just because that's the truth, but I want to say that they've lived there for, you know, <laughs> for we're so grateful that we give them that opportunity to be able to live out their life at a home. It's so peaceful. Each room has a patio that the beds can go out on and it it looks at nature. We have music therapists, we have art therapists to help with um, anticipatory grief all sorts of different resources to um, help in this most difficult part um, to ease that pain for them. So that's Evelyn's house. And BJC Hospice, you just have to be on BJC Hospice to be at Evelyn's house. Okay. Well, it sounds like a wonderful place. It really is. Anyone that wants to come, call me and we can. I'll set you up on a tour. We love to have as many people in to see it and enjoy it and know what it is with throughout the community. Mm-hmm. Do you use volunteers there? Yeah, so most people don't realize hospice, uh, when it was enacted uh, through Medicare in the 80s, 5% of our workforce has to come from volunteers. People don't realize that. Um, at Evelyn's house, oh, we have 30 to 40 at a time active volunteers. They're sitting with patients if they need it. They're talking with caregivers. They're, we have a huge flower room with flower donations, so each room always has flowers. You name it, we do it. It's a huge group, and it's so meaningful for the people, not only the people that we're servicing, but for our volunteers. I had two, <laughs> I had two high school boys from SLU High School. And they're seniors, and what they have to do their junior or their senior year, they get the whole month of January off, and they have to do it in a place of service. And so I get this phone call that they want to come to Evelyn's house and do it. And I said, of course, come and let's take a tour. And with that, I get a call from the school saying, absolutely not. They can't be at a hospice house. It's all about death. And so the boys come and we give them a tour and they said, no, this is where we want to be and we want to work with veterans and that's, you know, we want to talk with them. And out of the mouth of babes at the end of that month, I said, you know, let's just sit down and let's talk. And they said, Miss Matson, it was more about living than it was about death. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, that's it. That is it. And, you know, here these are 18-year-old boys who just got it. And they said, we love coming every day. Well, that's not, you know, a dark and dreary place. That's a, you know, we make it so it's nice and calming and just a, a pleasant place to be. So exactly where is Evelyn's house located? Evelyn's house is in Creve Core. We are directly south of the BJC West County Hospital. Mm-hmm. We're on those grounds. Okay. And we look, we look like a house, a big house. Um, so we want it to feel like home to people that can't be at home. Mm-hmm. So this is their alternative. So people can come and visit just to see what Evelyn's house is about? Absolutely. We welcome it every day. We are given tours. Oh, that's wonderful. 
And in, I guess, sort of in conjunction with that, it's a separate topic, but I think they're related, is the Conversation Project. Mm -hmm. I I went on the website and I I read just a little bit about it before uh, I came to the interview today. And it's not been around that long, right? The 10... uh, nine, ten years, something like that? Right. And it started, one of, Ellen Goodman is a Pulitzer Prize winning author, and her mom had Alzheimer's. And so she was going through the different stages of Alzheimer's with her mom. And throughout that time, she realized when it came near to death, that she never had a conversation about death with her mom. That they talked about Alzheimer's, they talked about everything else but what she wanted at the end of her life. And so here's this woman who's struggling to figure out what her mom wanted. And so she said, you know, after her mom died, she said, I was guilt-ridden. I don't know if I did the right thing because we didn't have that conversation. So she sat down with uh, the home that the um, mother was at with the director and said, am I the only one that has done this? you know, with her guilt. And and the director said, no, you're the majority that I hear. And so from that, she started the conversation project of let's start this conversation at the kitchen table rather than in an ICU unit. Let's start it early and often so that anybody who is faced with decisions at end of life know exactly what that person wants. So there isn't that guilt-ridden, I'm not sure if I did the right thing type of feeling. How did it then get legs and become something? So she put a board together of some pretty powerful people and said, what can we do? Because it's not okay that it's just a conversation that we're having here. I want it national. And so she started a website. She started gaining momentum being on the news and just telling anyone and everyone who would listen is what she would do. And then different, you know, our organization picked it up because we thought it was so important. So now we are doing conversations at over 20 to 30 a year at different St. Louis public libraries open to anyone, free of charge to anybody, to talk about how do you start that conversation? And once you start that conversation, what do you do from there? And so it's an hour-long presentation that we give. If you go on their website, they have all of these toolkits that any family member can print off, and it gives you so much valuable information. And that's really where they've put their time and resources in, is the website and then trying to get it in every major city to talk about it. Yeah, when I was on the site, I saw there was a toolkit for having the conversation, mm-hmm. toolkit. Oh, you know, dealing with Alzheimer's. That's what it was, Yeah, yes. and so that toolkit looks like, what that conversation looks like, what you have, what you should be talking about what different topics you should be covering and you can go ahead and print that off and have that with you it's a valuable resource so when did the conversation project start here in st louis when did you guys decide to add it to your repertoire we've been doing it i think a little over five years Uh, so we started small and now, like I said, we've been in the public libraries, which we, it's free and it's accessible to people. We've done it for corporations in conference rooms. We've done it at hospitals for doctors, for nurses, anywhere that we can get that conversation started. Coffee shops, 
anywhere that we can do that, we will go to. I have just a million questions for you, but we have to take a short break. But when we come back, we are going to continue talking to Laura Matson, uh, who is the vice president of the End of Life Coalition. You are listening to the Aging Answer Show, and I'm your host, Gina March, of the Mary Culver Home for Visually Impaired Women. We will see you on the other side. Welcome back to the Aging Answers Show, where we discuss tips, trends, and topics for the 65-plus crowd. I'm Gina March of the Mary Culver Home for Visually Impaired Women, located in downtown Kirkwood. We've been caring for elderly, visually impaired women since 1866. We have been having a fascinating conversation with Laura Matson, who is the Vice President of the End of Life Coalition. We just started to talk a little bit about the conversation project when we had to take a break. And uh, during our break, she and I had a lot of conversation going on that I want to bring back up so everybody else can hear this. Uh, Laura, when we took a break, like I said, we were talking about the conversation project and you said that you offer presentations around town, I think at libraries, you Mm -hmm. said, um, so people can um, hear more about this and think about it for themselves. So tell me what goes on during one of those presentations. What do you talk to people about? Yeah, we first give them an introduction of how, and we've already talked about that, how the conversation project got started to give it some basis around what they may be going through, the different people that come to our our talk. And then what we do is we literally set the table with a tablecloth to exemplify to them, this is how the conversation should be. It should be at a dinner table. It should be in a conversational way, not in the ICU unit. And then we start to talk about, you know, the five steps to advanced care planning. And most people have heard some of the terminology, but they're just not quite sure what exactly they need. And some people say, well, I don't have the money for an attorney to do that. At the conversation project, I'm a notary. When I do it, I can notarize all the inf- all the paperwork that can be printed off. You technically don't need an attorney to do it. It's always nice to have because they have a wealth of knowledge. We always have an attorney with us to answer any questions and a notary to notarize so that you can fill out the paperwork there. And what we're talking about is, number one, having the conversation, just simply talking about it. You don't have to put anything in writing. You don't have to sign and you know do all of that. Just have a conversation of, of what that means. So what is a good death? What's a bad death? And people, it, you know, I, I taught middle school for so many years, and I would have parents come to me, don't talk about sex education. And I always thought, well, if we talk about it, does that mean you think they're going to you know have it right now? It's kind of like death. If we talk about it, Do you think it's going to happen right now? And so, no, we're trying to start that conversation way before, hopefully, that it ever will happen. So having the conversation with whomever is important in your life, whoever you think is going to make that decision for you if that comes down to it. And so that would be your power of attorney. And that is someone, if you are in a position that you cannot make decisions for yourself, it is the next person who is going to make those decisions for you. 
some people say a spouse, some it's a sibling, some it's a parent. You always want to choose somebody that you know can follow through with your wishes. So now you've had that conversation. Now it's decision time. Okay, what decisions do I have to make? And some things, you know, a lot of things that come up are, if you're in a position with a feeding tube, should I have that feeding tube? If I'm on a respirator, you know, all of those if, when questions. And really, you have to start to talk about it and talk through it. We, you know, I was talking with my husband the other night and I said, I don't want to die in a hospital, but I don't want to die at home. And he goes, well, what do you want me to do? Drag you to the street? And I said, no, but if I, you know, and Evelyn's house is where I want to be because it's like a home, but I have the medical care there with me. And so just having that dialogue and it was funny. You know, he doesn't want to talk about it. He hates when we're out and people ask me what I do because then people go, oh, how do you do that? But we have it and we laugh about it and we joke about it. Right now we can. And that's when those conversations are so meaningful. So you have the conversations, you start to make decisions, and then you start to put it into legal documents. So a living will would be exactly how you want things to go. A power of attorney would be who's going to carry those out if you can't carry them out. And then you need to communicate your wishes to that person. You know, I've had stories of someone picking a power of attorney and didn't know that they were, and they get that phone call. Okay, so let's have that conversation. Let's make sure they know that that's your person. But also, too, with your doctor's. I, I went to my general practitioner the other day and I said, I want this in writing. I want you to have a copy of my paperwork. And she looked at me and said, you're too young and you're healthy. And I said, yes, exactly. That's when I want you to have it. I want you to keep it. And here it is. And she just was mind blown by that. And so we want that communication to keep going. And then every life circumstance change, that conversation has to start over again. Maybe it's an illness that comes about and you start to reevaluate some things. When someone turns 18, people don't realize they need to start this paperwork too. Going off to college, parents won't have the benefit of them being under 18. They need to have this paperwork done. So we really talk about that. Um, Marriage. So before I was married, my person was my mom. That's who, and now I have to change it. And so that might look differently now that I'm married. It might look differently when you have kids. So it's always evolving this conversation. And so that's what we talk about, how to start that conversation, what you need to have in place, and then we provide those resources for you. What would you say are the first three questions or things to say in this conversation you know it it all depends on the situation so I had it with my family because we were in a circumstance where we did have someone who was ill and I said at Thanksgiving dinner we're going to talk about it and we're going to talk about it now no one can leave Um, I've also had some people started in cars just start the conversation because that person can't leave. So you just, and, and it's an ongoing conversation. You don't have to hash it all out in one sitting. So take it slowly. Take it where that person is um, and, and move forward from there. Have it often. 
but you don't have to hash it all out in a set amount of time of an hour. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's true because that person may not be or probably is not expecting that you're going to start the conversation right. and they probably aren't ready. I guess they need time to kind of process it and, and get back to you right. with with right. what they're thinking. And I will say the most popular way to start it is, you know, when so-and-so died, I would like that for me, or I definitely don't want that for me. This is what I want. So you're bringing that experience to someone and, and they can understand where this is coming from. Uh, I find that that's probably the easiest way if you have an example of someone and and go from there. Yeah, I have a kind of a funny story. My my husband told me that he thought, and I think his father also thought, that his mom always wanted to be cremated. And then they brought it up one day in a, just a casual conversation, and she said, I never said that. <laughs> I want to be buried. And they're like, but you've said it before. No, I never said that. So they had this assumption right. that she wanted one thing, and she really wants something else. Right. So... Um, I guess that can happen. It can, and it does. It does happen. I see it at Evelyn's house all the time. Oh my! I know. Yeah. Now, before we started the radio interview, someone had mentioned to me a book called "Being Mortal" mm-hmm. by, I guess, a doctor Atul Gawande. Mm-hmm. And when you heard us say that, you went, "Oh yeah, this is a great book for everyone to read." Tell tell us what that book is about. Yeah, you know, when we start to think about. And it's, it's been such an experience the last few years for me to start this endeavor is to see how culturally we're changing about talking about death. You know, other cultures find it so easy and it's within their daily language. In America, we have such a tough time. And we're starting to see that pendulum kind of sw- swing back to being able to talk about it and not in a dark and dreary way but to have those conversations and his book being mortal he's from um, the harvard medical school and so his perspective is from a doctor's perspective of what's what it's like to have a conversation with someone about that what are your goals of care you know those are the languages that we should be using Uh, and people say well it must be really hard to tell someone you're dying and it is, it's not an easy conversation, but it has to be. So how can we make it friendly? How can we make it as easy, as comforting as we can? And so he really dives into what all that means. And it really has taken hold and it's wonderful because people pick it up, they love the book, and the topic is right on point of where we need it to be. And so it really has been a great mainstay of its education at its finest. He backs it up with research, and it's his personal stories that are wonderful in that medical community. And I take it that it may be true that most doctors aren't trained to have conversations like that with their patients. Is that it is, is that correct? I would say yes. And I, again, we're seeing that trend uh, start to increase with more and more education. Um, people think you don't have to with doctors uh, because this is what they do. Well, no, they need just as much education as you and I do about end of life and what it's like to have that conversation. And we, as you know, I know at BJC, our hospice, our doctor is so adamant that all the fellows 
learn about hospice, talk about hospice, come to Evelyn's house and and see it in action and how to have that conversation. And he's, his name's Dr. White, Patrick White, and he's phenomenal about talking about this is how you have the conversation. And so with that, we need to, we need it with nurses, we need it with aides, we need it with social workers on how to have that conversation, how to support that as well. And the more education we can get out, I know Gateway, we do a lot of that education. I know BJC, we're doing a lot of that education. It's so wonderful to see. And I know other organizations are as well. And we need to continue that even in that medical field. It's very hard for doctors, especially, I'll give you an example of cancer, right? You, you're fighting. You're fighting that battle of cancer with using that language, which drives me crazy. And then all of a sudden, a doctor now has to tell you, oh, but now we have nothing else left to do. I'm sorry. And the person looks and says, but you've told me to fight and I'm fighting. And the doc, you know, so it's very difficult for that doctor to have that conversation. Uh, so the more tools we can even give doctors to talk about it, the better. Yeah, I guess doctors want to be heroes. They mm. they they are trained to That's save. What they're trained absolutely. They're trained to save, right? Yeah. And they right. can't save everyone. Death is inevitable, right? Well, I would love to continue this conversation, but we uh, unfortunately have run out of time. Um, I'd love to have you back another day, absolutely, to talk more about this. Um, but anyway, we do have to conclude. Um, that is our show for today. I want to thank Laura Matson. You have just provided us so much good information. Laura is um, the vice president of the End of Life Coalition, and she also works with Evelyn's House. Mm-hmm. Um, if people want to get a hold of you for more information, what's the best way for them to reach you? So you can reach me by email, and that would be laura.matson, M-A-T-S-O-N, at bjc.org. And it's L-A-U-R-A? Yes. Okay. Or you can call me at 314-996-8125. Great. Thank you very much. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to the Aging Answers Show, where we discuss tips, trends, and topics for the 65-plus crowd. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, let us know. I'm Gina March of the Mary Culver Home for Visually Impaired Women, and I've been your host today. Join us every Monday from 1 to 1.30 with a repeat broadcast on Fridays from 1.30 to 2. And thank you for listening to KWRH LP Radio 92.9 FM.